coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 23rd of July, 2023. Family Matters. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Just by way of review for us and for anybody who might uh, be watching the video later, we've been looking in Colossians as Paul is writing to a church that he had never visited, but he knew the believers, some in part from interactions with others, and he was writing to encourage and admonish them. His desire for them was to grow in the Lord. And he spends the first couple chapters talking about how Jesus Christ has the preeminence, first place. He's not some sort of secondary citizen. He is the one that we look to. He is the one who provides life. When we come to chapter 3, there's a transition, and Paul moves from some of that teaching, core teaching, to application. And by the time we get to our passage today, he has moved to... Stepping on our feet. No, he's, he's talking about how we live. And he mentioned husbands and wives in the previous uh, section that we explored. And now he comes to parents and children. And we want to look at, at that this morning. Needless to say, much could be said. In fact, if you were to go to any kind of a Christian store or online, you would find myriads of books on the family and how it's all supposed to work. We're only going to take a little while today, but I hope we can touch on some things that are valuable. You may say, well, I don't have a family or my family has grown or um, I can just sit back and, and, uh, not have to pay too much attention here. They say, well, let me encourage you. You probably know people who have families with their kids still at home, growing up, maybe grandkids, maybe just neighbors' kids. Be in prayer for them. This is a tough, tough time to be living. And they need all the help they can get, just like we need all the help we can get. And we'll see today that some of these admonitions don't just apply for when we're raising our kids, but when the kids are grown too, how we interact and how we deal with them have a lot to say. And Paul has just some brief words here in Colossians chapter 3 that we're going to expand on a little bit this morning. The passage that we're looking at is found in Colossians chapter 3 and verses 20 and following, all the way down to 21. Okay? Here's what he says. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children 
lest they become discouraged. So I would just say amen and go on home now, right? No, not quite. The cool thing is, we have mentioned this before, that the book of Colossians and the, and the book of Ephesians are companion pieces. In the book of Ephesians, Paul spends a little more time, and of course he had lived in Ephesus and had worked among these people. But these are parallel, and a lot of things that are said in one are said in the other. We looked at that section that says, let the word of God dwell in you richly, and then you'll speak together in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs. And Ephesians says, be not drunk with wine wherein it is, but be filled with the spirit. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, same sort of fallout from whether you're filled with the spirit or in the word of God. And so in Ephesus, they read something different. This is what is written to uh, the family when it comes to the same theme here. And it says in chapter 6 of Ephesians 1, of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So a little bit larger segment dealing with the same themes that are found in Colossians. Now, by turning to Ephesians, we saw that there was reference to something in the Old Testament, and of course that was the Ten Commandments, and then the retelling of the law in Deuteronomy. And so we have in Exodus 20, 12, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And in Deuteronomy, when he retells it, he says, Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days be long and they may be well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And so we come to the first statement, and we'll deal with children first, and then we'll go to the responsibility of the parents. We'll make this first statement. Christian children will please God when they show their obedience to him by obeying their parents. In so doing, they will bring honor to both. Okay, let me say that again. Christian children will please God when they show their obedience to him by obeying their parents. In so doing, they will bring honor to both. This is so cool. And you go, why? You're just going to gang up on the kids and tell them you got to obey. No, that's not the point. That Paul would be writing to the church in Colossae, and he said, kids, the Lord is paying attention to what you do too. And if you are believing kids, because he's writing to the church, if you're believing kids, you have a role to play in 
magnifying your Lord. And that is, you by obeying your parents, you can bring honor to both your Lord and to them. And I, I find that so great because a lot of the times in history, kids have sort of been pushed to the background and said, ignored, you know, you don't cause any problems. We won't pay any attention to you. It'd be okay. But here, Paul is taking the time to write to the church. And as he does, he says, kids, I, want, I have something for you too. I have something for you too. That you have an opportunity to bring honor to me by bringing honor also to your parents by obeying your parents. The word obey that's used in, in both passages in Colossians and Ephesians means, are you ready for this? Obey. <clears throat> Literally, it's a word that means listen up. Listen up. Pay attention. Pay attention. What do they say? What do you do? You know, I think one of the great uh, one of the great things to learn for kids are, is, is instant obedience. Instant obedience. What do I mean by that? Mom calls out to the kid, take out the trash. What happens? Nowadays, the kid would put down their Game Boy or whatever it is and run to go and get the trash and take it out, right? right. No, it's not going to happen that way, is it? First of all, there's the first call. Johnny, would you come and take out the trash? And it just sort of echoes in the Johnny, I know you heard me. Would you come and take out the trash? Well, Dad, Mom doesn't mean it really yet. Johnny, get in here. Take out the trash. Oh, she's getting closer to the point where I need to obey. What Apostle Paul is saying, don't be like that. Don't be like that. If Mom and Dad ask you to do something, do it. Do it now. Okay? Follow. Follow in and say, what'd you say? Okay, I'll do it. And you say, well, Pastor Tim, wouldn't that just lead to child slavery, you know, telling kids they gotta do this and gotta do that and you know, boss them around and pretty soon when they get old enough, big enough, They'll be rebellious because they won't want to be told what to do. And what. They said they could, but we're not talking to ordinary kids. We're talking to Christians. We're talking to kids who have put their trust in Jesus. And God says, you want to honor me? They said, then you need to obey your parents. When you obey your parents, you honor both of us. The beautiful thing here is 
there is a possibility by a child's obedience to win the heart of even unbelieving parents. Which is not the way that I think is optimal, but it is a possibility. Why? Because here you have a child in the home who is listening to the Lord and saying, Lord, what do you want from me? And the Lord says, what I want you to do is honor your parents by obeying them. You say, well, what about outlandish things that they may ask me to do and things that are wrong to do? You know, if they tell me to steal when we go into the grocery store, so that, we're not talking about that. We're talking about most of the things that a parent will ask may not be comfortable for the child because they'd be rather doing their own thing. But you say, I can do that. And the question is, what kind of heart do they have when they do that? Is it a heart of rebellion? Man, I'm right in the middle of this game. Or I'm, if you're a reader, I'm right in the middle of the book. I, when I finish this chapter, I'll get to it. Or is it, yes, mom, yes, dad, hop up and go. You may say, well, pastor, how long did it take you to learn that? Well, he says, well, I was married for about 20 years before I finally figured out that if my wife asked me to do something, now is the time to do it. And not because she beats on me, but because it's a lot easier on me. I wish I had learned this when I was younger. So that's why I'm saying it now. The word honor, we talked about obedience, it means basically listen up, pay attention, what are they saying? And then do it, do it. There's nothing in here that says you can't clarify, what do you, what do you want me to do? Why did you want me to do that? Not to make everything a challenge that way, because some things are pretty obvious, take out the trash, okay, what do you really want there? No, <laughs> we got it figured out. We know what it is. They got the trash. But honor, honor is an interesting word to throw in this mix, especially if you're dealing with a believing child and an unbelieving parent. What do you do if the parent is not very good? I have a friend who, when he was growing up, dad was oftentimes drunk. And when he got drunk, he would beat on his family. He said, well, how, how can I honor that? How can I show them respect? When you don't focus on that, you focus on the little things that you can. I'm thankful that we have a house to live in. I'm thankful for the fact that we have some groceries on the table. And if dad or mom have shown you any kind of care and concern, highlight that, put a yellow marker through that and say, I really appreciate what you've done. You're a good mom or a good dad when you do that. I appreciate that so much. 
a lot of times we use it as an excuse. Oh, they're not very good, so I don't have to treat them well. And this whole passage speaks right against that. It says, no, you focus on obedience, you focus on honor, and you do this as unto the Lord. And guess what will happen? Your family will be blessed by having you in it. There is a, a second statement we want to make application here. God promises to bless parents, parent honoring Christian children with a long, well-lived life. You say, well, that was the promise of God. That was the promise in the Old Testament. That's a promise in the New Testament. That it may go well with you and you may live long in the land was a promise in the Old Testament and repeated in the book of Ephesians. You say, well, is that all the time true? No, because a life could be cut off for different reasons, accident or something, maybe not live, but it was a good life. I want to share a story but I want to introduce it with a, a passage. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11. In that, in that verse, Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Basically, he says, you look into the Old Testament, you read these stories, when you read these stories, they were instructive at the time for the people in, which, in the time in which they lived. But they also can be applied to us today. And we're going to do that. So I invite you to turn to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 9. It's back there somewhere. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 9 Okay, has everybody found Jeremiah 9? Someone still need time? While we're waiting for the others to find it If you have Jeremiah open, do this Take a deep breath because you'll have that still new Bible fresh smell. Because hardly ever go into Jeremiah, right? Uh, that's bad. In Jeremiah chapter 9, Jeremiah the prophet is writing to uh, primarily to Judah and he is speaking in bad times. It's dark times in the nation. The Jews had uh, uh, walked away from God. They had uh, uh, Joash as their king, but he had passed. They had turned from King Joash to back to idol worship. They had watched the northern tribes be carried away 
by the Assyrians into captivity. And Jeremiah is making all kinds of noises saying, you didn't learn anything from them, did you? Because they didn't have any good kings and they never turned back to God. And look what happened to them. And you guys are not walking with the Lord. Didn't you learn anything? And we read in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse uh, 23 and 24. He says, Thus said the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. That was in the early part of Jeremiah, but I want you now to turn with me to Jeremiah uh, chapter 35. Fortunately, you've already found Jeremiah, so I did. <laughs> Over to 35. And we're going to be introduced to a group called the Rachbites. And in 1 uh, Chronicles chapter 2 and verse 55, they're identified as a Midianite-ish tribe. They were a traveling tribe. They come into the land of Palestine. They were Gentiles. They were nomadic. They didn't settle down in cities. And, and they moved around, and the principal dad of the family, um, let's see his name here, let me get it for you. Well, we'll come to it in just, Jonadab, there we go. And so in, in Jeremiah 35, the word comes to Jeremiah, and he says, I, God says to Jeremiah, I've got a job for you. I want you to go, and I want you to go in, in, in these days, while Jehoiakim is, is king, and uh, of course Jehoiakim wasn't a good king. He says, and I want you to go to the house of the Rechabites, and speak to them, and bring them to the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, then offer them wine to drink. So he says, I want you to go out there. I want you to gather up this family, and I want you to bring them in. When they come into the temple area, I want you to take them over and offer them some wine to drink. That's what you're supposed to do. Jeremiah goes and gathers them up. And we see their response a little bit further down in the passage. So he brings them into the house and he sets before them pitchers of wine in verse 5. And in verse 6, we read their response. Verse 6. But they answered, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, 
Our father commanded us, you shall not drink of wine, neither you nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house, you shall not sow seed, you shall not plant or have a vineyard, but you shall live in tents all your day, that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. Now, who were these Who were these people? Like I said, they were Gentiles and Midianites, but they had decided to follow the living God in in Israel. And so they were sojourning the land. They were probably sheep herders, herdsmen, because they were people who traveled around in some places in Israel. There's not a lot of green, so you gotta move around if you're gonna keep those animals fed. They didn't they weren't raising crops, they weren't doing that, they weren't building homes. But dad said I don't want you guys to be drinkers either. And so when Jeremiah brings them in under the direction of the Lord and says, here, drink, they go, we can't do it. Listen to what it says in verse 8. We have obeyed the voice of Jundab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he has commanded us to drink no wine all of our days, ourselves, our wives, our sons, our daughters, and not to build houses to dwell in. We have no vineyards or seed or or field. We have not, but we have lived in tents and have obeyed and done all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. He says, the only reason you found us in Jerusalem was because the Babylonians are knocking at the door and this is a safe, secure place. But otherwise, we'd be outside the city walls and we'd be, we'd be on the road. So what was going on here? Dad says, uh, I don't want you to settle down. don't want you to build any houses. But he added something that wasn't in the law of God. He says, I don't want you to be drinkers either. And so now the family comes in and they go, ever since grandpa has said that, we have kept what he has said. We have obeyed what he has said. Now, who were these? These were Gentiles. And they were doing what the law said when it says, children, obey your parents. And they said, that's what dad said. That's what we're doing. So they refused to drink. Now I want you to look at verse 12. Because we'll see something from verse 12 on down. Where the Lord takes the example of these Gentile believers. And makes an application to the to the the southern tribes, the tribes of Judah. And he says, I'm going to use them as an example to you. So what does the Lord do? He takes this Gentile believing group. And now, because of their obedience to their father, he's going to use it as a lesson to them. And by the way, he's using it as a lesson to us today as well. So listen to what he says. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
Go and say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction and listen to my words, declares the Lord? The command that Jonadab, the son of Rechab, gave to his sons to drink no wine has been kept, and they drink none to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. And I have spoken to you persistently, but you haven't listened to me. I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, sending them persistently, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way, attend your deeds, and do not go after gods to serve them. And then you shall dwell in the land that I gave you and to your fathers. But you did not incline your ear or listen to me. And the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rahab, have kept the commandment their father gave them, but this people has not obeyed me. He says, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the disaster that I have pronounced against them because I have spoken to them and they have not listened and I have called to them and they have not answered. So the Lord brings this family in sets up a test, they pass the test, and he uses that illustration to condemn the actions of the Jews. He says, this family listens to their dad, and you don't even listen to me. So judgment's coming. Oh, by the way, there's an epilogue. It's found in verse 18. But to the house of the Rechabites, Jeremiah said, Thus said the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you obeyed the command of Jonadab, your father, and kept all his precepts, and done all his, he has commanded you, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, when it says Lord of hosts, he has a picture of a mighty army behind him. And he says, this says the powerful God. I'm going to do something for them. The God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rehab, shall never lack a man to stand before me. I don't know who it is today, but somewhere out there, there is a descendant of Rechab who is still walking with God because of the blessing that was laid on them because of their obedience to Dad. Can you say that there is a profound effect for obedience of a child to his parents? Wow. It was used as an object lesson by God and then it was a blessing upon them for their obedience down through all generations. Because the children didn't go, man, eh, that was just grandpa. What does he know? They said, no. He said, we are not to drink. We're not drinkers. Wow. 
Can a child influence a family? Absolutely. These children did. Did they bring honor to Jonadab and his family? Oh, yeah. Recorded in God's word for us. So now I want to turn the attention to the other verse in our passage today. This one having to do with fathers. It says, fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. In Ephesians, the parallel passage is, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we have a couple principles here. First one, Christian fathers are to be the visible representation of the invisible God to their children. They say, well, are all dads this way? No, but he's addressing Christian dads here. And he says, this is what you need to do. By the way, the commandment for the children was a commandment, obey. The commandment here to the father is to nurture his children and don't provoke them to anger. You know, it's no accident that earthly fathers and our heavenly father have the same title. He says, how many of you have seen the heavenly father? No one. How many have seen the earthly father? Paul's writing to the Christians and the dads, and he says, they're looking at you, Dad, and they should be seeing my Heavenly Father. When they look at you, they ought to see him. Jesus, writing and speaking in John 20, 29, says to Thomas, he says, you have believed because you've seen me. Remember after that, at the resurrection, he appeared, and, and Thomas goes, oh, I, I believe now. I see you, nail prints in your hands and in your side. I believe you. Jesus said, had you believed because you have seen me, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And a Christian father then becomes that visible representative for the heavenly father. And they ought to see God, the father. In dads. And you go, whoa. Whoa. So how do we go about doing that? Come to the next principle. A Christian father's modeling of a consistent godly life will avoid provoking his children to anger and consequently putting out their passion for God. The idea of there, of when he says in the passage about uh, provoke your father, your um, children, and lest they become discouraged, the idea of discouragement is having their passion put out. So a child is growing up in the home, Christian dad is trying to share with them the things of God. And they see inconsistencies in dad in how, what he says as opposed to what he does. 
And pretty soon they go, well, which way is it? What about dad who says, go with your mom to Sunday school? Go with your mom to church? What are you going to do? Well, I think I'm going to get around and go. Well, how important is God to you? Oh, he's really important to me. Then why don't you take us? Well, this is my day off. You're going you're gonna to tweak the kid. They're going to be provoked. Their response, it's like somebody who comes along and just keeps poking at you. You're going to keep poking at them by your inconsistency. And they're going to go, I don't like this. Kids are real good at doing that to other kids, right? They'll hang out and I watch our grandkids. Of course, they're perfect angels, but I'm just using them as a possible. No. They're kids. And so pretty soon it's like, well, that's mine. Well, no, it's not. It's mine. No, it's mine. Or they're sitting on the couch. You're sitting on my spot. But what happens when a dad lives an inconsistent life? They put out the passion of God for God in their kids' lives. They go, this is just so much nonsense. This is so much just talk. This isn't really how it should be. So we come to the next principle. Christian father has a responsibility of nurturing his children in the Lord by positive instruction and gentle correction. Think in terms of a gardener because the word that's used in Ephesians when it says bring up a child is the idea of nurture a child. And it's a picture of a gardener who is going to plant his garden. Well, what positive things is he going to do? Well, he's, he knows that every plant is different. Are kids all alike in the family? <laughs> no. No, they're different. He says, but he knows the difference between them. He's, he's paying attention to what that particular plant likes and doesn't like. He's going to be, first of all, loosening the soil. He'll want this to be part, plant, this, this uh, plant to be planted in uh, adobe soil. <laughs> he wants it amended. He wants to add in some stuff that will fluff up the soil and put in nutrients into the soil. And then he'll be actively watering and making sure there's plenty of, of light. Some like it in bright light, some like it more shady. He's going to know the difference and take care of what needs to happen. All those positive things. But he's also going to be involved in the negative things. He's going to watch out for bugs. He's going to pull weeds. He might have to set up some barriers so the, the wildlife, the deer don't come and munch on, the, on their plants or the rabbits or any other critter. 
may have to even do some pruning. And all those pictures are pictures of what a gardener would do with his garden and their ap applications for what a parent does to the child. It needs the positive influence of instruction and guidance and example and all those things and the negative influence of warning and correcting Sometimes you need a dad to say, by example, we talked about modeling consistent godly life. Does dad have a cool head? Is he the one that diffuses situations? Does he know how to de-escalate situations? I was sharing in Sunday school, a guy shared with me, he says, you don't go to stupid places with stupid people at stupid times and do stupid things. And if you warn your kids, that would be wise. I gave the illustration in Sunday school. I said, when do I buy gas? I buy it in the middle of the day. Where do I buy it at Costco? I'm surrounded by a whole bunch of people. I don't go to the 7-Eleven at 1.30 in the morning and when I walk, get out of my car, I see five or six guys lounging against the wall, all dressed in dark. This is a place to avoid. Why? He says, I don't want to go to stupid places at stupid times and do stupid things. That's a stupid thing. He says, they'll catch up with you. And a parent warns the child, warns the child. I mentioned this last passage, Hebrews chapter 12. It's a picture, again, of what the Lord does for us. And we're reminded that the same is true for, for us as parents to our kids. In Hebrews chapter 11, or 12, it says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. There's the admonition to the child to how they respond to the direction of the parents. It says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. That's the role of the parent. Not to beat on this kid, you know better than that. This is loving discipline, gentle correction, and positive instruction in the things of God. It says, if, it says, for discipline that you have endured, God is treating you as son. What son is there and the father doesn't discipline? Well, anymore, plenty. But he says, if you are left without discipline, of which all have participated, you are illegitimate children and not sons. No dad who is worth his salt, even a secular dad, is going to forsake the responsibility of raising his kids. But for a Christian parent, it's got the whole avenue, the aspect of the spiritual life that he's inputting into. He says, they disciplined us for a short time, 
as seeming best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Dad's then that representative right here on earth to represent the Lord to promote holiness in their kids. Man. Two little short verses here in the book of, of Colossians. Two that have profound effect when we understand what they say and how to apply them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Two short sentences, a lifetime worth of living, isn't there? A lot of stuff to practice day unto day. What if we have what if we have faltered? What if we have failed? There's no day like today to repent. There's no day like today to, to start being obedient to the Heavenly Father. As parents to instruct our kids, as children to obey and honor our parents. I just love the story of coming out of Jeremiah, of this family, who said, Dad said it, and that's what we're going to do. And God said, Amen, brothers. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, these short verses here. And by application to our life, some of the most critical functions of our life. As Jeremiah said, it's not about being wise in earthly wisdom. It's not about being rich. It's not about being powerful. It's not being a person who has authority. It's a person who has come to understand who you are and gets in right relationship with you. It's critical. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be a part of that process, both as children then as parents, you give us opportunity to be parents and to pray for others who are faced with the same kind of tasks that we might support them, love them, encourage them, build into them these same kind of values and we will all profit. We ask in Jesus' name.